Good morning, Southwinds. As I'm sure you've heard by now, we'll be regathering for indoor worship services next Sunday, October 11. I'm so excited to see all of you. If you haven't completed the brief survey we emailed and texted you, please do that ASAP to help us prepare. We'll be continuing our 8 a.m. outdoor service farther into the fall. And for those not yet ready to return, we will keep providing online services. You'll want to keep checking our Facebook and Instagram pages through this week for further details as we get closer to Sunday. Today, we're continuing our series through 1 Peter called Hope for Exiles. And you want to get your Bible open to 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 through 10. This is one of the key passages in this entire letter. If you've been here in previous weeks, you've heard me explain that 1 Peter was written to Christians scattered all across Asia Minor, which is today the nation of Turkey. They were facing hardship because of their faith in Christ. Some faced rejection from their families. Others were dealing with neighbors who hated them and ostracized them. Some had lost their jobs and were living in deep poverty, and some were facing persecution that would cost them their lives. They were elect exiles, and their question was, how do we keep our hope alive? That's what Peter is explaining all through 1 Peter. How should they live? How can they make it through? And a huge part of Peter's answer to those questions has to do with identity. In our verses today, Peter is talking about identity. What does it mean to have an identity as exiles? How does our identity transform the way that we live in a culture that increasingly marginalizes and even rejects us? You know, identity is an enormous issue in our day. Our educational system from kindergarten on assumes and teaches that your identity is everything and and no one but you gets to decide your identity, that you must live out your identity. Psychology teaches identity theory and we worry economically about identity theft. And then there's identity politics. I mean, identity is in the air we breathe as 21st century Americans. We think as Americans of identity in a very individualistic way. It's all up to us. But you're gonna see that Peter talks about identity in a very different way. Peter tells us that God, our creator, determines our identity. And and Peter tells us that our identity is more corporate than individual. And then he shows us that our identity has a purpose outside ourselves. It it has to do with our mission for our lives. So with those thoughts in mind, let's read 1 Peter 2, verses 4 through 10, and then we'll dig in. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious... You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, But now you are God's people. 
Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. These verses are so incredibly rich and profound. And I want to show you three truths that Peter tells us that will help us know who we are as exiles and then live that out together. Here's the first truth. You can write this down in your notes. Build your identity on the only true foundation. That's what Peter's talking about in verses four through eight. And he's speaking of Jesus. And we will see that a foundation is what you build your life on. I want you to look at verses four and six again. I want you to notice the picture Peter is painting for us. I'm gonna point out a number of details quickly and you can talk about these more in your life groups this week. Peter, Peter calls Jesus a living stone and a cornerstone and he says the world rejects him, but God sees him as chosen and precious. In other words, not everyone builds their life on Jesus and we'll talk more about that in a minute. Peter also says, as you come to him, And this phrase speaks of our conversion. See, becoming a Christ follower is about coming to Jesus. And we come to him because we have tasted that he is good, as Peter says in verse three, what we saw last week. We come to him in faith. We trust that he alone is worthy of our allegiance, our our worship, our very lives. We come to him and we build our lives on him. We, we come to him because we are believing that he is the best foundation on which we can build our lives. Now, you know that the most important stone in any building is the cornerstone. It's the foundation stone. The cornerstone holds all the other stones together. They all eventually connect back to it. And if the cornerstone is stable, well, the rest of the building will be solid and secure. Martin Luther, commenting on this passage, said that everyone has a cornerstone. He said that your cornerstone is whatever you build your life on. It's your foundation. It's your anchor. It's what you turn back to when other parts of your life crumble. In other words, when life falls apart from you, what do you retreat into? Where does your heart go to tell yourself that you still have hope, that it will be okay, that you don't need to fear the future? Do you find yourself thinking, well, I've still got plenty of money, so I'll probably make it? If so, money is your cornerstone. If it's, at least I have a strong family, if we're together, we can get through anything, then likely family is your cornerstone. Maybe it's, well, I'm talented and, you know, people like me, we can always recover and rebuild. Or maybe it's, I'm a good person and good guys eventually win. Then maybe your goodness is your cornerstone. Peter tells us that if your cornerstone is anything else but Jesus, your life will be characterized by instability. It'll be marked by all those things Peter listed out in verse one of chapter two. We saw this last week, malice and deceit, you know, lying to make yourself look better, hypocrisy, pretending to be something that you're not to impress other people, envy, resenting what other people have, and then slander and codependency, many, many other things. See, Peter is telling us here that we must build our identity on Jesus alone. We come to him, this living stone. This is kind of a strange expression, isn't it? Because a stone is lifeless, but Jesus is the living stone. Peter likes this word living. Have you noticed? He's written about our living hope, about God's living word. And now he says, Jesus is the living stone. And he's the living stone because he's alive. He rose from the dead and he reigns. And that's why Jesus is the only true foundation. Friends, think about it. Only one 
person has conquered death. Only one person has truth and light and life. Only one person has the answers you're looking for. And he's the living Christ. He is the risen, reigning, and returning Christ. And we have life only when we build our identity in him. Look at verse 5. Peter says, because we come to Jesus, he says, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So we're like living stones. Together, we are being built up as a spiritual house. And this tells us we're not just stones individually on our own. We receive life when we are united to Jesus, who is the living stone. And the only way we have life is when we are connected to him, built up into him, the cornerstone. You must not miss the the communal or corporate nature of what Peter is saying here. As Americans, we tend to read words like these and we think of what they mean for me. But, But Peter speaks almost exclusively in the plural. The emphasis is on who we are together. It's not that you're just one little stone and you're connected to Jesus, the cornerstone. It's, it's really all of us as God's people together and together we are being built up into a spiritual house. You see, we must find our identity in Christ, but we are to do that together with other Christ followers. And that may be why so many of us are struggling. Maybe you're trying to find your identity in Jesus, but you're trying to do it all by yourself. God wants you to find your identity in Jesus with other Christ followers. We build our identity on the only true foundation, but we do it together with other believers. You know, when you're in exile, it's really easy to feel like you're all alone. It's easy to think that everything and everyone is against you. And that just reminds us why we need Jesus and why we need each other. That reminds us why gathering with other believers in life groups and in Corporate worship is so very vital. I heard a really cool picture of this reality recently. It's about cows, which we're very familiar with in Tracy. And it's also about buffaloes, which we don't see all that often. Apparently, when a herd of cows senses that a storm is coming, they run away from it, scattering as they go. And the storm always catches up with them because cows don't run that fast. And then it gets harder for them because they're now alone. But by contrast, buffaloes instinctively do the opposite when they sense a storm coming. They huddle together and they actually walk into the storm. I'm sure that their cow cousins think that they're crazy. But that gives them at least three advantages. First, it shortens the length of the storm because they are literally walking through it. Second, huddling together protects them more than if they were alone. And then third, the fur on their front side is thicker than the fur on their backside, which provides additional protection as they are moving forward. Friends, we always need each other to make it as exiles in this world. We need to stay together. And how much more so during a time like this? You know, for us to, to make it through a season like 2020, we, we, we need to do it together together. I don't know, but maybe your hardship actually started long before the lockdown. Maybe it's a difficult marriage or your job just isn't working out 
Or maybe you just have health issues. There's something you've been struggling with and it just won't go away. And maybe your hardship is making you feel alone. You need your brothers and your sisters in Christ more than ever. So make Jesus your true and only foundation and do that while you're doing life with other Christ followers. In verses seven and eight, Peter shows what happens when we don't make Jesus our foundation. He writes, so the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. There's a lot in these verses that we don't have time to dig into this morning, but let me sum up what Peter is saying. If you want your life to matter, to count for something, you must be united to Jesus. He uses this word honor, which means longevity, legacy, success. He says honor will come to those who believe and make Jesus their cornerstone. And that may not seem to be true in real time. Just remember these elect exiles that Peter was writing to, they were experiencing shame, not honor, in their culture. But Peter is reminding them and us in verse six that ultimately all those who build their foundation on Jesus, they will not be put to shame. And that tells us today, even if our culture disdains you, even if our culture today tries to shame you, and this is going to happen, friends, listen to me, it's gonna happen more and more in the days that are ahead because the people around you, they think that we are not on the right side of history. Peter is reminding us that what ultimately matters is what God thinks and what God says. And ultimately, God decides who will be put to shame. You see, you can reject Jesus all you want, but God the Father has already made Jesus the cornerstone. And as Peter says in verse eight, Jesus is either a stone you build your life on or a stone that you take offense at and you stumble over. And isn't that a perfect description of so many in our society today? Jesus is offensive to them. His claims to total truth and absolute lordship offend 21st century Americans. But this has always been the way for those who will not believe. You might have noticed that Peter is quoting Old Testament scriptures and and that tells us that this shows us what it was like before Jesus. Just like Peter was saying that it was like after Jesus in the first century when he's writing these words. And it's still that way today. See, and here's the point. Either you build your life on Jesus or the kingship of Jesus will ultimately crush you. So you build your life on Jesus as your foundation. It is the only way to make it as elect exiles. And we're gonna come back to that, but let's look at the second truth, which says, live out of your true identity. Look at the first part of verse nine. But you are, and Peter is saying, this is who you are now. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession. See, building your identity on the only true foundation will cause you to live out your new identity. And I want to talk for just a moment about this massively important concept of identity. Identity is how you define yourself, who you are, what your value is, what your purpose is. I heard this helpful definition not too long ago. 
Identity is what the most important person or people in your life think about you. The question is, who is that for you? Who is the person or who are the the people that what they think about you, it makes up your identity? Most of us live our whole lives plagued with the question, am I enough? Specifically for those people. And we live just trying to prove to ourselves and to others that we are enough. I mean, am I man enough? Am I strong enough? Am I smart enough? Am I pretty enough? Am I skinny enough? Am I good enough? We live in a culture that seems designed to tell us we're not enough. And then to make money off of us because we feel like we're not enough. I mean, think about it. The point of just about every advertisement we see on TV or on the internet is that we're not enough. You're not a good enough mom because you don't buy this brand. You won't be good enough until you use this brand. You're, you're not a good enough husband unless you buy this jewelry. You're, you're not good enough unless you buy that car. You're not good enough unless, unless whatever they convince you that you need so much that you will buy it and you will buy their product and then you will line their pockets with your money so that they will have enough. I mean, we hear it all day, every day. You're not enough. When she cheats, it's because you weren't a good enough man or husband. When he looks at porn, it's because you're not a good enough wife. When the kids ruin their lives, it's because you weren't enough as a parent. And even if you are enough right now, you you live sometimes with a fear that one day you won't. You know, LeBron James is the greatest basketball player of his generation. But one day, like everyone else, he'll be surpassed and forgotten. Have you seen the movie, The Greatest Showman? It's the fictional account of P.T. Barnum's rise to success. And in that movie, maybe you remember, there's a, there's a moving scene where his prospective father-in-law tells him he'll never be good enough for his daughter. He says to P.T. Barnum, you'll, you'll find out. She will see one day that, that you're not enough. And, and one day she's going to come back. She'll grow tired of the poor, miserable life that you're able to give her. And that played to a, a deep insecurity he had, one that all of us tend to have. It turns out that no matter how successful Barnum was, he was never satisfied. And his wife begged him to realize that he was good enough, but he, he just couldn't seem to shake it. You know, today, Instagram and Facebook are, are built, it seems, on just showing all of us that we're not enough. I mean, everybody puts up their fake life, which is kind of seemingly designed to scream out, you're okay, but I'm more. And you find yourself wondering, am I really enough? You know, she puts up that picture of her perfect little kids, but you're not even looking at her kids. You're looking past them at that new kitchen and you're wondering, why is her life so much better than mine? The American College Health Association has noted the the rising anxiety in this, this generation of students entering college. And they say it's because the primary message children receive is that they better be the best at everything or they won't make it. And all of these messages are just made exponentially worse by social media because everybody's out there. We all know this. Everybody's out there creating a fake best version of themselves to compete with everyone else's fake version. We all end up afraid to reveal our inadequacies and insecurities. 
I want you to see that what Peter is telling us is that we can stop this frantic race to the top because Jesus is our foundation. We have a new identity. Listen to what Peter's telling us. He says that that we are a chosen race. And that means, friends, listen to me, it means God chose you to be in his family. I mean, what greater place of privilege is there than that? You know, again, everybody's talking about privilege today and in our world, race is about externals, ethnicity and tribe and skin color and all the various groups are battling, fighting against each other for privilege. But in God's family, it's not about who we are. God makes it clear that his choice of us is not based on our worth, but on his grace and his love. The Bible says God chose us when we were his enemies, when we were dead in sin. It's all because of his mercy. And that's who we are, friends. We are a chosen race. And then second, Peter says we are a royal priesthood. You know, in Israel, the the chosen people, there was a, a specially chosen line of royalty, the line of Judah. And then there was another specially chosen line of priesthood, the line of Levi. And Peter says in Jesus... In Jesus, you are both of these. You are the chosen of the chosen of the chosen. I mean, you can't get to a higher place of privilege than that. And and God says in his word, have you you read this? That one day in eternity, we will reign with him as kings and queens. That's our identity in Jesus. That's who we are. Third, he says, we are a holy nation. A holy nation. We are set apart by God God for God, for his special purposes. Do you you see the incredible privilege and worth that gives to us? It's who we are. Fourth, who are we? Well, he says we are a people for his own possession. In other words, friend, you are a valued possession and Jesus purchased you for his own with his blood. I mean, think about it like this. Of all the things he wanted, he wanted you and he wanted you so much he shed his blood to buy you. See, the king of kings has set his affection on you and he has an identity for you and he has a plan for you. Verse 10 says that once we were not a people, but now we are God's people, that once we had not received mercy, but now we have received mercy. We are God's people. We are recipients of his mercy. And if this is true, and it is, what more do you need to feel that you are enough. See, you are not enough because you're more remarkable than someone else or because you got to the top faster or because you're just plain better. You are enough because of who loves you, because of who stands behind you, because of who has put you into service. I want to say to especially you kids and and you high school servants, you will never win enough to feel like you're enough. But the good news is you don't need to. Jesus won for you and he values you and he promises that he has a plan to use you for his good and that is enough. See, all of us, all of us have to choose where we will build our identity. And if you build your identity on your intelligence or your beauty, on your your strength or your popularity, on your wealth or your athletic ability or your personal goodness and virtue, you will always be insecure. But if you build your identity on the cornerstone, on Jesus, you will rest on a rock that can weather any storm. 
and you can make a positive contribution in this world because you become a living stone built up in his temple. You are channeling the life and the purposes of God. Let me say this before we we move to our last point because some of you desperately need to hear this. Some of you need to release yourself from the self-imposed obligation to be enough for others. You see, you're never gonna be wife enough to save him, ladies. And men, you can't be husband enough to keep her home at night. And sons, you can't be son enough to make your insecure daddy proud. And daughters, you won't ever be daughter enough to please your pride-filled parents. You can't be their savior They need Jesus to feel that insecurity in their lives. You just need to be who God made you to be and to fulfill his purpose in your life and to let his affirmation and his approval be your identity. And that will be enough. Here's the third truth. You can go ahead and write this down. Live your identity out in your purpose. Look again at verse 9. It says that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Now, once you build your identity on the only true foundation and once you begin to live out of your true identity, you can begin to live your identity out in your purpose. And what is that purpose? Well, Peter says, our job is to proclaim the excellencies of him who called us from darkness to light. And I I love Peter's imagery here. You'll remember that in Genesis, we're told that God created the world ex nihilo. That, That means out of nothing. There was nothing, and then God created everything. And that's what happened to you in salvation. You were completely unrighteous and sinful. You were spiritually dead. And then God spoke and made you righteous and made you alive. Just like there was darkness and then there was light. God took you from the darkness of death and gave you the light of life. And you are to proclaim that. You know, whenever you sing, I am who you say I am like we just did, you are declaring that. You are here. Your purpose is to declare his excellencies, not your own. Do you see that as your identity? Do you see that as your purpose? This week, I heard a story that took place a number of years ago. It was uh, about a businessman who boarded a flight in London to return to America. And he was in first class. And, and when he boarded, the seat was empty next to him. And he was kind of looking forward to stretching out. But right before the doors closed, this, this young woman, uh, a pretty woman, runs onto the plane and sat down beside him, just totally out of breath. And he, he said he was kind of disappointed at first, but he struck up a conversation. And he asked her what she was doing in London. And she replied, oh, I'm part of a movie shoot. He said, oh, which movie? And she said, well, it's a remake of an old movie, you know, Peter Pan. And he said, oh, is there anyone famous in it? And she said, yes, Robin Williams is in the movie. And then she named some other actors. He said, that's great. He said, that must be huge for your career. And she smiled and she nodded. Uh, A little bit later in the flight, he got up and went to the bathroom and a friend of his who was also on the plane ran up to him and said to him, do you know that you are sitting next to Julia Roberts? And he said, who's that? He sits back down. I mean, he was totally clueless. And he said, interestingly, it didn't really seem to bother her at all that he didn't know who she was. She had already 
established her identity. Pretty woman. So it didn't matter that this guy sitting next to her in an airplane didn't know who she was. You know, as we're going to see next week, I hope you'll come back and join us for this. Peter reminds us in verse 11 that we are sojourners and exiles, like we're just passing through. And so we don't care how many people know our name. We only care how many people know his name because that's our mission. That's our purpose. I just want to ask you, do you see your life in those terms? My purpose is to proclaim the excellencies of God because I have tasted and seen that God is good. I know that God is more beautiful than anything this world offers. I believe that God is better than anything else in all the world. So friend, let me tell you about him. Let me show you how you can know him. He will take you out of that darkness you're living in and he will bring you into his light and his light is marvelous. In fact, let me ask you right now, who in your life needs to hear about God's excellencies, about God's beauty, about God's goodness and love and mercy? I just want to encourage you. Why don't you write someone's name down right now? And why don't you pray for that person right now and ask God to open a door for you to tell them about Jesus? Life as an exile is hard. And let's be honest about this. It will probably get much harder in the days that are ahead of us. We as God's people need to know who we are. We need to know our identity as exiles, who God says we are. And we need to live out of our identity so that we can live out God's purpose for us. I just want to ask you, will you do some evaluation right now? Are you living your life as an elect exile? Are you living aware that most of the people around you do not value who you are in Christ? In fact, many of them will actively disdain and despise your faith. But it doesn't matter. You know that your father loves you and he has made you a living stone that he has united to the cornerstone, Jesus, his son. You know that you were dead, but now you are alive in him. And you know, you know that you are part of a spiritual house that grows larger and larger every time someone meets Jesus and trusts Jesus to forgive their sins and to give them life. You know that you are not alone, that you have a forever family and we are all in this together. And friends, we can make it through together. I wanna close. I wanna close with Peter's warning. His warning for anyone who has not yet found their identity in Jesus, the living cornerstone. Peter says, you have a choice. He says, you can come to Jesus, the living cornerstone, and he will give you a foundation to live on. He will give you a new identity, a new family, a living hope. He will give you true joy and happiness forever. You can come to him or you can oppose him. You can try to find your identity and purpose in yourself or in something else and he will become the rock that crushes you. Where are you today? Are you finding your identity and your security in him? Or have you set yourself in opposition to him? You've determined you're gonna do this on your own. Have you surrendered to Christ and his purposes or are you in rebellion 
If you have not done this yet, I just wanna tell you, you can do it right now. You can give your life to Christ and you can pray with me right now. I wanna invite you to do that. I wanna ask all of us, would you bow your heads now so we can pray together? If you don't know Jesus Christ, would you join me in praying these words? Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus, I believe that you are the living stone, the only true cornerstone. And I want to unite my life to yours. So I turn from my sin, from trying to find my identity and purpose in myself, in my accomplishments, in my worth. I turn to you and I trust in you and I rest my life on you as my foundation. I surrender my life to you. I ask you to receive me into your family. And I wanna encourage you, if you have done this today, would you please let me know? You can email me or you can share your decision with me when we gather next Sunday. I hope that you will share your decision with someone close to you as soon as you possibly can. I can't wait to hear about what you've done. And I wanna say to everyone, I cannot wait to see you all. You know, I'm praying that you will have a week full of joy, inexpressible, full of glory, like Peter says, as you rest in the peace and comfort of knowing that you have a father and that your father has chosen you to be in his family and that your father has chosen you for his special possession. I wanna leave you with his living word, this living word that speaks to us. It comes from our living God. It's 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 23 and 24. It says, may God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful and he will do it. And all God's people say, amen. I'll see you next Sunday.